Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 9 of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. And I'm Jess Rubenstein. Thank you for joining us this week. We have an interesting show for you. This is Believe in Hockey Prospects, the show all about discussing the future stars in the game of hockey. We believe in the future. Do you believe? This week, we will be breaking down the NHL's draft format, give some of our thoughts on what's to come with the draft and with the upcoming playoff format. But first... Another head coaching slot has been filled in the NCAA. This time, it's Dartmouth announcing they will bring in Washington Capitals assistant coach Reed Cashman to lead the Big Green. Cashman has been behind the bench in Washington, D.C. for two years now as an assistant coach for the Capitals. Before his time there, Cashman spent five years at his alma mater, Quinnipiac University, as an assistant coach and two years with the Hershey Bears of the AHL. Do you like this pick, Jess? Oh, yeah, we're seeing a growing trend. This is, what, the second coach uh, with an NHL background who's committed to coaching at at a college and especially, you know, at an ECAC school, which is more known for their education than they are their sports. I think it's a good fit. I think Dartmouth needed fresh blood, fresh ideas. You know, anything that makes them competitive is good for the league. I'm sure it won't come as a surprise to anybody that I'm a big Reed Cashman fan. I didn't get to watch him as much as I would have liked in college, but it was clear to every fan that after he left the team, it wasn't as good as it was. Guys come and go every year, but you could see a difference in focus after he moved on to Hershey. Not only do I think he's great at earning the respect of the locker room, but he's a power play mastermind on top of doing everything a coach needs to do. I think this is a big loss for the Capitals and a fantastic replacement for the legendary Bob Gaudet. We also have some more awards to talk about, Jess. Award season is not over just yet. The CHL has handed out some awards. First, their Humanitarian of the Year award goes to Drummondville's Xavier Simino. The CHL has also awarded the Sportsman of the Year to Nick Robertson, Toronto Maple Leafs prospect, currently playing for the Peterborough Peets. Shane Wright from Kingston has been awarded the CHL Rookie of the Year award. And to little surprise, Alexis Lafreniere has been named the CHL Top Draft Prospect of the Year. And we also have a few American awards on top of that. Let's start off with Dustin Wolf of the Everett Silver Tips, who was awarded the USA Hockey Dave Peterson Goaltender of the Year, which is given to the best American goalie playing in the Junior Leagues. We've got Jake Sanderson winning USA Hockey's Junior Player of the Year award for his play with the USHL. And Hobie Baker Award winner Scott Peronovich has been named USA Hockey's College Player of the Year for his great season. And our last USA award goes to Abby Roke, who was named Bob Allen's Women's Player of the Year for her excellent work with the Wisconsin Badgers. Jess, that's a whole laundry list full of amazing players. Do any of them shock you? Not a single one. I mean, every single person. This is a rarity. I mean, no controversy. Uh, No shockers. Every single person that you just named off, well-deserved award winner. It's good to see that, you know, USA Hockey got a lot of them right. I'm happy. I mean, 
There's not a single pick there that you can complain about. And if you're going to complain about them, I got to wonder what whether you've been watching either college or junior hockey. They got them right, 100% all the way. Perfect. They definitely got them right. Simino is a fantastic guy, not only on the ice, but definitely in the community. All about giving back to kids who want to play the game of hockey. Robertson, another fantastic guy. We've talked about how much guys like Wolf have helped Everett. Everett would not be the same team without Justin Wolf. Sanderson will be a top 15, most likely top 10 pick with that kind of talent. We've also got Peronovich. We've talked about how great he was with his Hobie Bay performance. Abby Roke, phenomenal women's player. I don't think there's any one person on this list, Jess, that we'd change up. Justin Wolf. I mean, he was following in the footsteps of Carter Hart, who's playing now for the Flyers. Those were really tough shoes to walk into. Wolf. Walked in the shoes of a really great goalie. He did well. Everybody was expecting Everett to fall back. And at the end of the day, they were right there. You know, if not for the virus, I question whether Portland would have won out as the best team in the league. Everett was right there. And the biggest reason Everett was right there is Dustin Wolf. Let's keep going. Jess, we're getting hockey back very slowly but surely. We're going to get hockey back here. And I think we have some notes that we might want to bring to some people's attention. The NHL has given us some details about their return to play format. Let's get it going here. So let's start with the qualifying round, the round where 16 teams will play to fill eight spots. That round is going to be played in best of five. The team with the higher seed will be given the home team advantage. Games one, game two, and game five. The winners of the qualifying round will move on, and then they will play against teams that have already clinched. In the event of a tie in that round robin between the top four teams of each conference, those will be decided by the regular season point percentage. And something else that's new this year, the NHL will reseed every round going forward. So the highest seed will play the lowest seed. Other than that, still best of seven series going on after the qualifying round. Home teams get one, two, five, and seven, just like they normally would. So only a couple changes there, Jess. But what do you think of those big major changes? Well, First of all, I, I'm not a fan of them coming back trying to play. I don't think that you're going to get a legit Stanley Cup champion out of this kind of setup in this system after all this time off. The way they've got the thing set up, it's pretty much favoring the top four. And okay, all right, they deserve it. What bothers me is I, I just have this nightmare of Team 21 going all the way and winning a Stanley Cup. And I think it cheapens it. But if you're going to play it, let's make it right. Let's do it fairly. This is the best they can really come up with. What else can they do? I don't know. I'm against it. I think it's one giant risk of injury just so the NHL can recapture their TV money. At the heart of it, I think you're totally right. This is a money move more than anything. You need to get back out there, promote your product. Every business is losing money on top of everything else going on in the world right now. The last thing the NHL needs to do is cancel their season and lose that much more. For all intents and purposes, I think the plan set up right now is fine. I'm not really sure if I like the reseeding 
and having the top seed always play the lower seed. But I think that's just how it's going to happen here because with a round robin with the top four teams, I really don't think you can do it any other way. So as much as I may have issues with it as a fan, I'm happy it's coming back. If it's going to happen, I'm going to watch every single game that goes on. You're right. Whatever team wins this championship, they'll have an asterisk next to their name, just like every lockout champion does. But I'm happy to see it coming back. And not only that, yes, not only do we have the NHL coming back, we're starting to get some information about some other leagues coming back. Yeah, we are. Let's start with Hockey Canada, which I don't think the juniors really pay much attention to them. But the other leagues, the A's and the B's, they do follow Hockey Canada. They're starting to come back up. The uh, BCHL approved new initiatives and protocols. They've now formed a Department of Player Safety, which will accumulate penalties and watch that. They're also putting in some stricter penalties for fighting at that level because you got to stop and think that the BCHL as a league plays junior hockey, which is close to NC2A, and you're not supposed to fight there. And so it looks like there's going to be an increased discipline, you know, once you get past, say, like your fifth fight. And they're looking for, you know, Zero tolerance on instigators and, and aggressors. Those guys won't get penalties. They'll wind up with suspension. There's going to change charging rule, the slew footing rule. They're going to want defib units to be placed at every arena. I think that alone is an important improvement. I think we've seen at the NHL level how many guys that had heart issues, You know, I think it's like two or three where they pulled it out there, and they saved the guy's life. So I love that. They added the Cranbrook Bucks as their 18th franchise. So the league is back as a whole, no unbalanced schedule. You know, we're all happy to see hockey start going. I'm a fan of the BCHL because I think it's an unknown league for people. To give you an idea of how important the BCHL is, they're sending seven guys to Division One schools. I mean, you're looking at a league that has 18 teams, and we're looking at people who are going to go not to just any school. We talk at Boston University, Michigan, Vermont, Arizona State, Wisconsin, Ohio State. Even Long Island University's got a commitment. As great as... The major juniors are. I love the BCHL. They send players to all over the NC2As. They're all talented players. They're getting serious about opening up hockey. In, in, in Washington alone, you're talking four WHL teams, uh, the BCHL team. There's a couple of serious club teams that play in the CHA. So it's nice to see that you know, they're starting to get serious about it. I don't think we're going to see fans right at the beginning, but I think by mid-season we'll start seeing fans. You you can't keep playing. You can't keep playing hockey without fans. I think we're getting there, you know? Definitely, especially since places like New York, which are the epicenter of the virus, they're now allowing facilities to reopen up to play sports. We've got Florida just agreeing to host the NBA season down there. 
So while sports may not be fully back in what we're used to, at least we're starting to see some important first steps on getting it back and having places that can call it home and places that can just give us what we want. I think sports is just so important to have uh, that distraction. I mean, history has shown that during bad times, sports can be so uplifting. I mean, if you go back to the 9-11 baseball game between the Mets and the Atlanta Braves, what that did for the city with Mike Piazza's home run and the Yankees that year making it to the World Series, you give people hope with sports. And so the sooner we get all pro sports, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, you get these guys back out there, we get something to do. I mean, my God, I've never gone this long without being able to watch a baseball game, you know? For everybody in America and Canada that, you know, we get our sports back. We do everything right. We clean everything. We sanitize. We... We wear the face mask out there, and I don't care if you don't like it or not, but if you want to attend a game, put a damn face mask on. With the return of the NHL, and that means we can talk about the return of the NHL draft. So let's start to talk about that. I know there have been some plans laid out and some descriptions given. Those have been a little clunky, so I've done my best to kind of compile them all and give them to you in one nice and easy package to the best of my ability on how the NHL draft is going to function. So let's go ahead and give it a try. The teams eligible for the draft lottery include the seven teams not participating in the league's 24-team tournament when play resumes, and the eight teams that will be eliminated in the preliminary round of the tournament. What's different this year is the draft lottery will potentially be done in phases, and what that means is that the eight teams competing will be represented by placeholders at the start. If the top three selections are awarded to three teams not participating in the tournament, the draft is done. We can pack up, go home. The remaining teams will be assigned by the final standings. In the event a placeholder is drawn as a top three pick, another lottery will be held in phase two in order to decide the team assigned to the winning placeholder. Jess, I know it's a lot to follow, a lot to take in. What are your thoughts on the format? I don't like it. As far as I'm concerned, those seven teams that don't make the playoffs, that should be your first seven. You do the lottery with those guys. I mean, be fair to their fans. They might not see hockey until next December. They don't make the playoffs. They don't even get to play anymore. Let's see, what is it? Pittsburgh seated number five. They get knocked off out of the first round, and somehow they wind up with the number one pick. That's wrong. You know, that is just totally, totally wrong. I think if you didn't make the playoffs, then those seven teams, yes, you guys will play for the first seven spots. When that qualifying round ends, the teams that are eliminated there, that's the second set of spots that are determined. And then you go on. As far as I'm concerned, once you get past this first seven, your record should indicate where you go. The eight teams that'll be eliminated, hey, here's your spot, starting with pick number eight. I just don't see it. It's not fair. It cheapens it. What would it be like for Pittsburgh to lose the first round and wind up with Alexis Lafreniere? You know? How wrong is that? 
that's a, definitely a frightening scenario to think about, Jess. But the reason I'm okay with it is because it is fair. And I know it doesn't seem it because it's a lot to take in. I don't care if you're a writer, an analyst, a fan. It's complicated. It's a complicated setup. But what I'm seeing analysts like Bob McKenzie say is that even though it looks complex, the odds of a team winning the lottery haven't changed. Just the presentation has. Yes, it might not be fair if Pittsburgh wins, but we've seen teams in the past. Just the other year, we saw the Blackhawks come down from, what were they? They were 12, I believe, and they came down all the way to three. That happens in the lottery. That's that's what the lottery was designed to do. It's designed to not totally knock you out, but ruin your chances so it's not a total trip into the number one pick. Yes, I would hate it, especially as a Ranger fan, if Lafreniere went to the Penguins, who are the best team that could possibly be eliminated. But... In the way it's set up right now, that is not designed to be a very likely scenario. The odds of the Penguins getting the number one pick stay small like they normally would if they hadn't made the playoffs. In that respect, it's not the same. It will never be the same if it's set in this format, but it's close to what it's supposed to be, and I'm okay with that. I just think that, you know, you're telling the fans of the seven teams, you guys don't matter. You're not even invited to the party. I get that. Their records weren't that good. I think if you're making the playoffs, you've gotten that extra games in, you've given your fans something to, to cheer about, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think that you deserve a shot at one of the top players. And it remains to be seen how this really fairly comes out. But if on draft day, we see a Pittsburgh Penguin team in the top three picks, something's wrong. I think the big point here is that look what happened to the Avalanche. They were supposed to get that number one pick and got knocked out by the Devils, the Rangers, and the Blackhawks. They were supposed to get that pick because the Senators were supposed to have that pick, but they didn't, and they got four. And that sucks because they shouldn't have gotten four, but they got four because that's how it works. You can peg that as right, not right. That's the way the system has been for a couple of years now. It would suck, but if you still have a 0.1% chance of winning the lottery and you win the lottery, good on you. I'm happy you had that horseshoe shoved in your pocket. Well, I think you and I agree to disagree on this subject, my friend. I just don't think it's a fair system. I just can't see playing hockey in the summer to begin with. You know, we should be spending this summer talking about Quentin Byfield or Lucas Raymond or Tim Schultz, Connor Zary, Seth Jarvis. That's what we should be talking about. That's what the offseason is about tomorrow. Instead, we have to wonder if the NHL is going to play because the more we look at it, uh, the more I wonder is, you know, what happens during these training camps, these small group training camps, if, say, a player for the Rangers, he winds up with COVID-19, so he exposes six players to it. Do you quarantine all seven and not let them play? I mean, the worst thing that could happen to the NHL would be as if one player unknowingly and unwittingly transfers that virus to a bunch of teammates. If the teams are not constantly testing, not constantly taking temperatures, no one's gotten the antibody test, that's going to screw some things up and that's going to make it really hard for everyone else to play too. So we're really counting on the NHL. We're counting on the NBA as well. The NBA is going to be coming back very soon quicker than the NHL will. It's really up to those other leagues to kind of get it right so that the NHL can also get it right and we can do this properly. So we start late, but we don't start way too far to the point where everything is screwed up. Yeah. Well, you know, 
I want to. I, I, I miss. This is the time of year I should be talking the draft. So, can we talk about the draft, please? Let's talk about the draft. So, a couple of weeks have gone by since we've given a true look at the draft and how mock drafts have shaped up. Has anything changed for you since the last time we've talked about the top ten? Well, I noticed that a certain certain little Marco Rossi is just rising. Guys like uh, Dawson Mercer dropping a little bit. Dylan Holloway, he's falling like a lead weight. The longer this weight goes on for the draft, the harder it's going to be for some of these guys who stopped playing in February and March to keep going. I mean, the top three, top four, maybe even the top five, I think, is for sure. Lafreniere, one. Byfield, two. Stutzi, three. Drysdale, four. Rossi, five. Maybe Lucas Raymond flops with him to be to five or six. I don't think that you'll see any surprises. And there are some kids that I kind of really like. I definitely like Lucas Raymond. Shame that he's not going to fall to where my Rangers pick. Drafting is subjective, you know? I've been doing this, oh my gosh, since 2004. And I can't remember the first time anybody's top five actually went the way it was supposed to be. And I think this is going to be one of those rare years where it will. If we went to just today, just based on record, you got Detroit at one, Ottawa with those two picks at two, three, the Kings at four, Anaheim five, Jersey six, and Buffalo at seven. I can see them taking exactly the way it is. You know, Lafreniere for Detroit, that I think is a franchise changer right then and there. Ottawa grabbing, say, Quinton Buffield as a second pick and Tim Sulcey with a third pick. Again, those are those are franchise changing picks. Um, maybe I don't think LA will go Cole Perfecti. I think they'll take maybe a Lucas Raymond. It would be interesting. See, I see I can see New Jersey grabbing Marco Rossi because they've shown that. Size doesn't matter to them. Montreal picking Jamie Drysdale for on defense. Jake Sanderson, another defensive player, he winds up, say, Chicago. The only thing I'm going to be surprised about is somebody actually taking a goalie in the first round. I, I don't know where people get this idea that, you know, you draft a goalie in the first round. I don't see it. I, I can't remember how many teams that have gotten good goalies in the first round. And before I give my thoughts on my top 10, I want to give a tip of the cap to friend of the show, Steve Corianos, because when we had him on this show, he made a, a lot of good predictions that have seemed to come true. He said Rossi would lift in his stock. He was right. He said Stutzel would overtake Drysdale as the number three pick. He was right. He said that Yaroslav Askarov would fall out of the top 10. He was right. And he said he wasn't so sure about Lucas Raymond being a top five pick, and a lot of mock drafts have him around the eight spot. Tip of the cap to Steve Corianos for nailing those predictions. But like you said, Jess, some years have – it's right down the line just like you think it's going to be. In other years, there's one big shot pick or two big shot picks in the top 10 that screw up everyone. And I think even though you think this one's going to be chalk, I think we're going to get a few shockers here. I think we're in line, especially with the pandemic and how much uncertainty teams have around players and not getting that opportunity to show off their style. I think we're going to get a few shockers here. 
I do agree. I think it's Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzel, maybe Drysdale. If not, it's Rossi. And then we've got a bunch of great centers down the line. We've got Holtz, who's a great winger. Uh, Perfetti, I think Sanderson falls out of the top 10. I'd love to see him stay in the top 10. I think he's a fantastic player, but I just don't think defense is a big need right now for most of these teams that are lined up to get a lottery pick. I really don't know. I'm just going to flat out say it. I really don't know because there's so many different question marks. I've got no idea what the final draft order is going to be with this lottery. Who knows? Maybe when we get a little closer, I'll have a better idea. But right now, aside from my top three, I think it's all question marks. Let's also first give a shout. If you're looking to follow Steve Corianos, and I really suggest you do. He is the absolute best when it comes to the drafts. Forget Bob McKenzie. Forget all these other guys. Steve Corianos at thedraftanalyst.com is going to give you the straight poop. I don't always agree with him, but I respect this man. Check him out. He's got a great podcast as well. There you go, Steve. You owe me something for giving you a plug. I think the middle of the first round is going to be where you're going to see the drop-off. I think you're going to see guys, what you would think are tweeners, you know, late first round, possibly early second round. I think you'll see several of those move up, and I think that's when the team needs. I mean, once you get to 15, that's when you really should start thinking about who you think is going to help your team the best, no matter what the situation is. And I think you'll also see several teams make selections. If you're a college kid or somebody heading to college, I think you have a better chance of being selected early because of the unknowns of the pandemic and the NHL can hold your rights for as long as your four seasons at the collegiate level. So I think you'll see a lot of college kids go early. People who are in the U.S. Uh, development program go early. In Canada, this might be a great year to be a player in the Junior A. I've got several guys that I, I like that, you know, when we really get serious about it, I want to talk about in depth that few people get to see. But I love these kids, and I can't wait. Come on, hockey, let's get it going. I want to talk hockey. And right now, we should honestly, to be honest, we should have been talking you know, the Memorial Cup final should have been last week, and that's what we should have been talking about. So let's get this stuff on the road. I'm down for that, Jess, but that's going to do it for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Prospect Park for Jess and at Luke Legrano on Twitter for myself. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to another episode of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. And I'm Jess Rubenstein. Thank you for spending some time with us, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you again. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.